This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Well, I don't know about you, Stu, but today, woo, today was good, right? Am I right? Am I right? Or am I right? Mm. I am right. It was incredible, Glenn. was incredible. Hey, we had, for those of you who love Josh Romney, and that's Mitt Romney's son, I've got good news for you on today's program. He's going to run for his dad's seat. So anybody who is fretting, oh, what, but what would a Romney do? You're going to have that opportunity. Uh, and that's great. And we go over some of the senators that should be replaced. You're just blurring that out, but that has not been announced. There's no news story indicating that. You are saying that. I'm just, I, I am psyched. I, I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I'm not saying I'm right, but I'm not not saying it either. So I could mm. be wrong. You just watch. I'll bet you. Uh, anyway, <laughs> there's so many Romneys out there. They have to do something. Uh, we don't know who's going to be running against him, but we uh, do have the list of, of uh, senators that went and voted for Mitch McConnell's big continuing resolution bill and then added some more money to it that we could send over uh to uh to ukraine now there's a few people on the other side of that and they're your freedom caucus people they in uh congress are going to hold up any of these spending bills and if they don't as chip roy says on today's program the republican party is dead it is officially over if they cave on the spending So we'll see how it works out. Today's podcast begins right now. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Welcome to the uh, Glenn Beck program. I just I cannot believe what this New York judge is attempting to do to Donald Trump. Uh, taking away his company because they say he overstated the value of his company. Well, if this is any example of how Donald Trump overstated things, he said in his filings that Mar-a-Lago is worth 400. What did, what did he say? 400 or 450? Uh, yeah. It was like around that area. Four to 700 million, I yeah, think, okay. was the number. Four to 700 million is what he said it was worth. The judge said it was worth 18. Now, in 1985, when he purchased, the lowest acceptable offer for the house was 20 million plus eight million dollars for the historic furniture. Then he bought the land across the street to connect it to the ocean on both sides. He bought that for two million. So that means we should just stop and note how incredible that is. Two million dollars for the land on the ocean right by Mar-a-Lago. Okay. So, but in, in 1985, 85. So he buys that now. It's worth uh, $30 million. All those purchases together, $30, $30 million. million. Just with inflation, if you bought a hard asset worth $30 million at the time, 
just inflation alone, that asset is now worth $85 million. So just because of inflated money, it's worth 85. Now, add to that that this is a historic site that has been completely renovated and now also is a business and is now known as the Southern White House. Yeah. I think it's worth more than 18 million. I'm just uh, saying. I'm going to go with considerably more, uh, yeah. Glenn. Now, can we also add a couple of other details to this? After Trump bought it, he added a 20,000 square foot ballroom to and the property. And if you've ever seen it, it's it's not like a, a little add-on. It's, it's not, not like enough. it's not like they no. put a roof over the you know carport. Right. It's <laughs> yeah. uh, it's pretty. It's very nice. Very nice. Yeah. As you'd assume it would be. Yes. Um. He now we should also point out you you said twenty million dollars, which is true. That was their minimum bid. Yeah. Now he bid. 15 million yes and now, they turned it down because it was worth 20 right it was worth 20 mm-hmm. then he bought the land uh, in front of the this ocean so donald Trump. for two million dollars yes. and then went to mar-a-lago and said i'm going to build a giant building here that's going to block mar-a-lago's view of the ocean so then people said well now i don't want to buy mar-a-lago because i won't have the view of the ocean and so then he was able to purchase the pr- property not for 20 million not for $15 million, which he already had offered, but instead for $7 million. <laughs> <laughs> so he got it for seven, which is incredible. And less than the, uh, the furniture cost inside the house. He actually paid less money than they had estimated the furniture was worth inside. Um, no, now, it had a lot of work that had to be done, too. It right, had it, really fallen into disrepair. It, there was a lot of work, and he put that work in. Um, and it is also now turned into quite not only a business, but like a very good business that generates t- millions and millions of of dollars of revenue. Um, in 2014, it was estimated at $10 million a year in revenue. The year Trump announced his presidential run, sales had estimated at $22 million. And then the following year, $29 million in revenue from this property now, there's some some real estate experts say, well, actually, if you could just wipe that, if you could just bulldoze the thing and build a, a, a or you can't, it, you can't. So you, the deed says you ca- it has to remain a club. So they, they can't make a personal residence out of it, which if you could make a personal residence out of it, there's arguments that it could be worth even more just because, you know, I guess that's the way these things right. work. Though you'd think something that's generating millions of dollars of revenue would be worth more, you know, but. I don't know. That's what some of these experts are saying. Bottom line is Forbes estimated the value of this property at $350 million just last year. Uh, now, some they they're, they also had some people who said it was worth around $200 million, and some people who said it was worth up to $725 million. Trump's estimates were between four and $600 million, basically. I think it was $612 million was his high estimate that he had used. So, so I, I mean, t- it's pretty darn close. Again, appropriate. And remember, this isn't just, hey, Trump says and the bank does. The bank then assesses it themselves on a purchase. Like, they look at this and they come up with their own number, right? And they might, they don't have to just essentially believe Trump. They wouldn't just believe him. They might say, okay, well. He has, he is known. He's known, of course, He's known to, uh, it's the greatest thing ever built. But, well. It's a, 
it's a snack bar. But it's the best golden snack bar you've ever had. Remember his grin looking up saying it was the best taco salad he'd ever had on Cinco de Mayo? (laughs) Do you remember this? Right, yes. Uh, And and the, the thing about Donald Trump is we've only known this about him for half a century. Right? Like, he has been in the public eye for nearly 50 years doing this. So this would not be a surprise. Now, look, is there a problem? You know, this is the type of thing that there is some evidence, right? Like, at times, he has overblown the value of his properties. And you could argue that. But it's hard because he's also undersold them on different documents where that would be beneficial to him. And that could be a problem for a business. And that problem probably results in normal circumstances. If you're caught, which would be rare, it would be probably a small fine. Right? Like that is the, the, the that's what this normally would be. It would not be we're taking all of your buildings in New York City. We're dissolving your company, which is what they're trying to do in New York right now. None of this makes any sense unless you apply the filter of knowing that. Donald Trump is enemy number one to the people doing it. That's the only way this makes any sense whatsoever. It's crazy. And it's, it is, Glenn. You know, it's really reminiscent of go to Russia and try to do business right now. Oh, yeah. Go to Venezuela and try to do business right it's now. It's exactly the same. These are the things that happen to people. He, and because it's not happening to everyone here, it is different. But what is happening to Donald Trump in many of these circumstances is very reminiscent of what's going on in these countries. And if you think they'll stop at Donald Trump, I mean... They're going to pull in the biggest fish of all and then care about you. If they want it, they'll take it. Yeah. Um, by the way, he revoked the business licenses of some of Trump's companies and ordered a receiver appointed to oversee the disillusion of those companies. Among those companies is Trump's flagship Trump, Trump organization. This is crazy. Yeah, this is crazy. By the way, the district attorney of Manhattan Decline to file any criminal charges in this case. Yeah. <laughs> wow. They looked at this. They looked at this closely because you know, there, is, as I noted, there is some evidence where they could come up with something here. Uh, but again, it would usually lead to a fine, a slap on the wrist. Hey, you know, you you need to get this stuff right. Whatever. Uh, but it's notable that all these banks and insurance companies looked at this stuff and went along with it. They were fine with it, and they all made money. They all did well. So let me uh, let me change subjects just a bit. Trump is gaining in the polls against Joe Biden Mm -hmm. uh, and they're all freaking out. Now, let me just share with you this from the mainstream media. Biden's campaign secret mission for reelection. Don't let him trip. President Biden with the first lady has been wearing tennis shoes more often as a precaution Biden and his campaign are working on a critical project for his re-election bid. Make sure he doesn't trip. As voters express deep concerns about the 80-year-old president's age and fitness for office, Biden's team is taking extra steps to prevent him from stumbling in public as he did in June when he tripped over a sandbag at the Air Force Academy. With a physical therapist... Biden has been doing exercises to improve his balance as far back as November 2021. Since his stumble in June, he's been wearing tennis shoes more often to avoid slipping and using the short stairs at Air Force One, entering the plane on a lower deck than before. This is the mainstream media. 
Then yesterday, do we have the video of him uh, slipping, going down the stairs from Air Force One? Here he comes from Air Force One. Whoopsie, he slips. It's not bad. He holds on. He doesn't fall. Maybe that is from the physical therapy that he's doing. So also from the uh, media, President Joe Biden appeared to slip while walking down the short stairs from Air Force One on Wednesday after staff mocked a report about how they were trying to prevent him from falling. Same day. While passed unanimously in the state Senate, the bill was nearly defeated in the state assembly's public safety committee. But California Governor Gavin Newsom signed a Republican-authored bill into law that makes trafficking minors a serious felony, marking an end to the saga of a bill that drew national attention when a small group of Democrats in the state assembly attempted to stop the bill in committee. Hmm. So now last week we had a bill that was all signed and ready to go that would make it illegal for you to not affirm your child's choice of gender. Your kids would be taken from you, right? Yes. Under this bill or could be. And everybody said no brainer. Now. And he vetoed it. He vetoed it over the weekend, Mm -hmm. and now he's getting tough on trafficking of minors. (laughs) Huh. Certainly, I mean, everything about Gavin Newsom says he's running. Everything. With the exception of him physically saying he's running. Everything. I mean, this debate with Ron DeSantis on Sean Hannity's show, like... What? What? You're a governor? You're debating a presidential candidate on uh, on Fox News? What, What... what is that? I mean, most Democrats won't even go on Fox News. But he'll do debate. He's doing a debate on Sean Hannity's show? I mean, he's running ads in Florida, come to California. I mean, it's everything. almost like there's a shadow campaign going on. Yes. And I mean, there there is, right? Yeah, there there's, is. There's this calculation likely being made that something, you know, look, maybe this Biden thing doesn't happen. I, I should be in the position to to take this if it does and look look if biden winds up running I, he's positioning himself for the next campaign though i will say that wouldn't you say glenn you know knowing what you know about media and audiences isn't the isn't the debate on hannity's show relatively risky for newsom i mean if he gets blown out by desantis who's a smart guy uh, if he loses that debate, he's and it's on Fox News. It, the mo- Sean Hannity's the moderator. He's not going to have friend a lot of friends in the room. And he loses that debate. I mean, he's done, isn't he? He's done. Well, because Sean Hannity is the mon- moderator, it'd be like me being the moderator. They'll say, "Well, it was rigged against him. He sure. didn't have a chance." But if he really loses, and people look, I mean, of course, the media will come up with their excuses, no matter what. But if he really loses that, Democrats are going to be like, "Why? Why would we pick this guy?" The whole argument was that he was this brilliant politician in the next wave. Well, obviously, he can't even beat DeSantis in a debate. Now, if he wins, there's a big upside, right? Yeah, huge. If he was able to dominate the debate and actually come out of there as like a real winner, you could see that being a real I advantage. I just don't see that happening. I don't either. I mean, against DeSantis. And I just don't. Also, like, it's just hard to go into somebody else's house with uh, with a moderator who is not going to be friendly to you, who's going to see the other guy's side on every one of these questions. You know, he I think he thinks he's the tough guy. And look, the thing we know about Gavin Newsom most 
is that no one has a higher opinion of Gavin Newsom than Gavin Newsom. He is... He absolutely loves himself. Yes, he, he thinks does. him. He thinks he is great, right? And probably just thinks he's going to win because he's so smart and so brilliant that he can't be stopped. But you have to believe if you're an advisor of his, unless you want to um, just completely upend this campaign and be the candidate in 2024. There's no reason you would do this. I think there's a shadow campaign for for a decent reason on both sides. Mm. Yes. Have no idea if Joe Biden is going to make it in a multiple different scenarios. He could be gone. And the same with Donald Trump. Totally. He could be in jail. Right. I mean, we have no idea. This is the most unstable the presidency has ever been. And, you know, that always bodes well for a country, but... You know, I digress. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. And don't forget, rate us on iTunes. Just going to call you Dad uh, on the program. Dad, how are you? I'm good. How are you today? I'm, I'm good. I didn't expect you to sound this great. You have gone through <laughs> hell for the last uh, three or four years. Yes. How did it start? You know, it started with my daughter in the, in the public schools. They, they're... They passed a, uh, a, a program here called SOGI 123, for Sexual Orientation, Gender Identity. And what that is, is it is supposedly they, they called it an anti-bullying program, but it's actually a policy. And what happens in the schools is they're essentially they're telling kids you can be, you know, you can be homosexual, you can be lesbian, you can be bisexual, all the all the letters in the alphabet of the LGBTQ. Um, and where my daughter went to school, uh, it was where the pilot project was initiated. And so she was indoctrinated as among the first in British Columbia in this program. So that's kind of where it all started. So she had mental health issues. I knew that. But the school decided we're going to um, direct her towards being transgender. Uh, because at that time, that's how they <laughs> felt they could deal with all mental health problems with children was just to uh, transgender them. Jeez. And, and, and the idea behind that, it sort of, to me, reminds me of a video game where you have avatars. And these kids will sit there for hours creating their perfect character. And so now you have these adults, these perverted adults, coming at your child and telling them, hey, if you're not happy being a girl, create your own, whoever you want to be, be an avatar. You know, forget about that sad girl. Become a boy. And, of course, this is very... Uh, alluring to to them, right? This is going to solve all their problems. So that's sort of where it all started, was in the schools. Um, Where I caught on was uh, fairly early on. I didn't realize the extent of it all. But at one point, you know, my daughter went to see a psychologist who goes by uh, the the name Dr. IJ um, because there's publication bans on all of these doctors because they're uh, clearly so proud of what they do that they're hiding behind publication bans at this point. But, but I thought, you know, at that time, this is great. This, this person is going to fix this. Clearly, my daughter is not a, a boy trapped in a girl's body. That's impossible. But instead, he, uh, he went affirm, affirm, affirm. And the next thing you know, my daughter's headed off to the BC Children's Hospital here in August of 2018. And on her first visit, they're going to pump her full of testosterone. I'm like, this is crazy. My, my ex-wife gives me a call, tells me I put a stop to it. So they send me uh, what they call an informed consent form. 
which really doesn't, I find out later, doesn't mean much. Uh, and of course, my daughter has signed it, my ex-wife has signed it. I read it and I refuse. I mean, it's talking about all the irreversible changes, you know, like lowered voice, increased growth of hair. Uh, oh, Sterilization. And sterilization. And, and what this thing goes on to say at the end, which is probably the craziest line in the whole thing, is that it says the medical effects and safety of testosterone are actually not fully understood. And there may be long-term risks that are not yet known. It's in their consent form. And they're asking my daughter to consent to this stuff. Of course I say no. So they harassed me for four or five months. I finally get a letter in the mail in December of 2018, and it's from BC Children's Hospital. And they say, we don't need your consent. We're going to give her testosterone anyways under something in British Columbia called the Infant Act. And they said, but you've got two weeks to file in court. The Infant uh, Act? They call it the Infants Act here in British Columbia. And wait, wait, how old is your daughter at this at time? At this time, she's at 14. Okay. This started when she was 11. I would say around 11, grade four and five. Okay. And she's not an infant now. I just want to make sure she's not an infant. No, currently yeah. she'll, she'll turn 19 in October. Okay. So yeah, that tells you how long I've been battling this. <laughs> is that she's now, she's, uh, Finally, not going to be a, an infant, a minor soon. But so anyway, so I, so I, I take it to court because I'm thinking, you know, even forget about the LGBTQ component to this. Common sense says you don't medically do something like this to a child. They're a minor. Correct. Um, you know, you just like you wouldn't let a child say, oh, I can't have, I don't have feeling in my arm. So I'm just going to have it cut off. Well, you don't let kids do this stuff. But uh, boy, <laughs> did I have a wake up call? just to find out what I was in the middle of. And uh, so, yeah, I filed uh, what they call a notice of motion in BC Provincial Court in uh, yeah December of 2018. And, and that's led to five years in the courts and to prison, as you mentioned. So, And you went to prison. Why? Yeah, that's sort of phase two of the story. The, the, the first part has to deal with my actual battle to save my daughter from you know, being a victim of all of this stuff, of, of the cross-sex hormones and the puberty blockers. And, and so what happened is in, in court in January, uh, the, the judge said that, you know, for me to misgender my daughter, for example, was going to be considered family violence. Uh, <laughs> and all of these crazy things came out. I was not allowed to dissuade her from, I could only affirm, 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 or that was family violence. So all of these rules were suddenly put on, which pretty much eliminated my ability to parent her on this issue at all. And, and so what I did is uh, I spoke with the Federalist after that ruling, and I said to the Federalist, I said, well, I, I, it's a delusion. I, I, I'm going to keep calling my daughter a daughter. I mean, that's the, the reality. I don't care if the courts tell me to lie. And so I was hauled in for family violence under another judge. And then this is when they added all of the stuff where I could be arrested again. They put a protection order on me and said I could be arrested without warrant by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And for what? What do you mean arrested without warrant? For what? Arrest if somebody thought that I was misgendering my daughter or not affirming her. So it was really kind of uh, vague. It was really vague. And, and it showed you that at the time, the power that the transgender activists really had on this province and probably to some extent still do, although things are changing just like they are in the United States. 
slowly that they could get away with something like this. Now, where, where the change kind of came in, and this is, I should probably hit on this quickly, is the, the National Post, the big newspaper up here, in January, is when the court case is kind of starting, they put out a front page article on it. You know, who, who decides, the parent, the doctor. Now, the problem is they were trying to put my daughter on a pedestal because that had worked well for the transgender activists, is that you shame the father, but you do it publicly. But the problem was all the comments at the end of the story were supporting my position, and they were really going after the trans. And so this is when they thought, okay, new tactic. We're not going to do it this way anymore. We're going to gag this dad. We're going to shut the story down. Parents are not allowed to know what's going on, because this is not going to do well for us. This will end it. And that's essentially what they tried to do. And, the, and so, so they, there was, was a gag order against you. You would be sent to prison if you violated the gag order and spoke to any press member or, or was it anybody about what you were you going know, through? The honest truth, and this may sound super crazy, but my gag order actually said in it that I could only speak to my two lawyers, not even my parents or my, or my family about this matter. Only my two lawyers. Because it's considered a privileged conversation. To this talk is about insane. My daughter. This is insane. That's, that's how bad it, it got. Okay. And so we appealed all of this to the BC Court of Appeal. And we did go into the Court of Appeal back in uh, September of 2019. And we got a bit of a win out of it. Uh, we got the ruling about five months later. And in that ruling, the BC Court of Appeal said, well... We're going to take away the protection order. We're going to make it a civil order uh, instead of a, a criminal one. And they also said, I do have the right to dissuade my, my daughter from being transgender. They said, we're taking away the affirmation model. And they also said um, that, yeah, we're, the, under the Infants Act, the parents don't get to decide, you know, what their child wants to do, but neither does the child. So essentially what they said is, well, it's on the shoulders of the doctors alone. Oh, my gosh. And, so the doctors here in BC decide whether your daughter transitions or not. But the good news in that is that when this contagion possibly comes to an end, which it will, there's going to be a lot of law cases and a lot of uh, you know girls being transitioned to boys that now have the right to go and sue that doctor and say, hey, you know, why did you transition me? I didn't really know what I was talking about. And yet you thought I was doing the right thing. And, and this is the reason why I fight this so hard is because, you know, my daughter's never going to be able to come to me personally and say, hey, dad, why did you rush me down, you know, to the gender clinic? And I'll say, I didn't. <laughs> I did the opposite. I tried to save you from going to that gender clinic, but you were rushed there by the government. Do you have any keep in mind? Go ahead. Oh, it's going to say, keep in mind, in this case, it's not about uh, parental rights at all. It's, it's the government that transitioned my daughter. It has nothing to do with me or my ex-wife, what our positions were. It was the government itself which is a bit different than what's happening in the U.S., where they're kind of, I believe, handing off kids to the parent who will transition. So we're talking to a dad from British Columbia. He was forced to watch as his 14-year-old daughter was destroyed and sterilized by court-ordered testosterone injections. Is she? Do you have any relationship with her now? I, I don't right now, and I and I can tell you a bit what happened because this is actually part of their what they do over there on the on the on the far left is uh, my daughter would sneak over to my place, and she would have to tell the uh, the my ex wife her mom 
that, you know, she was visiting friends at school. And, of course, the lesbian activist lawyer, Barbara Finley, uh, attached herself as the lawyer for my daughter. And um, and so what happened is, is my daughter at one point came and said to me, she goes, Dad, I can't come over and see you anymore. And I asked her, why is that? And she said, well, they're giving me a choice. They said, if I keep seeing you, they won't fight for me to get my hormones and my transgender stuff. And so they said, they're, uh, so essentially, they bribed her. And they said, pick your dad or, or pick... Uh, becoming a, a boy and I haven't heard from her since I guess she chose to become a boy and so this is what they do with these kids these vulnerable kids is uh, they, they really gang up and bully on these kids and to get them to transition and it's it's yeah I mean my daughter was a complete victim but again this also destroys families and that's also I think part of the in, the intention is to destroy families as well. So to answer the question, no, I haven't seen her. Not since Christmas of 2019. Oh my gosh. Last time I saw her. Let me, um, if I can, just tell you that amazing things happen over time. My daughter uh, went to Fordham University, and I was working in New York at the time, and they totally flipped her against me. I mean, totally flipped her against me. I was a... Uh, a bigot because I, I wouldn't agree with um, gay marriage. I'd never been against gay marriage. I'm more of a libertarian on this. I just don't think the government has any right to be in anybody's marriage, period. Um, and uh, I, she was convinced because they held rallies against me and everything else at her school that, you know. Oh, wow. Uh, and uh, I thought I lost her forever. And, uh, after a while of getting out of school and being, you know, just being out from underneath the thumb, she began to see things differently and we're very close today. So hopefully it won't last forever. It's just going to be an agonizing time that you lose with your daughter. And I'm sorry for that. So go ahead. Well, that's, that isn't, yeah. And that's encouraging because that's, you know, I go through this with that with my conscious clean and I, and I, and I hope that, you know, my arms are wide open waiting for her to come back after, you know, she's done whatever she's doing, uh, which is terrible, which is terrible for herself. But she, but you know, I'm, I'm waiting here for her. And, and I would like to think that at the end of the day, you know, it's going to be those that affirmed her that she's going to resent. And, and she'll appreciate what I tried to do for her, even though I, I didn't succeed with her, but I'm, you know, obviously uh, I'm so thrilled with what I'm seeing as we are succeeding uh, in countries around the world, you know, in Europe, obviously in the United States, so many states, uh, and even in Canada, our federal conservative uh, government, or sorry, not government, they're the official opposition right now, but, um, you know, they passed a resolution, one of them being, you know, that they will never allow anyone under the age of 18 to medically transition. Uh, and so hopefully they do form government and they're way up in the polls right now. People want this stuff, but, but anyways, I guess, I guess this goes to the second part of, of my story in some ways, I, I went through the first half pretty quickly, but so, so we get the, this ruling out of the BC court of appeal and we're debating whether to appeal that to the Supreme court of Canada. In fact, we kind of worked on it. And then we kind of decided, well, we sort of got this thing where we can sue the doctors down the road. Let's just leave it because the, 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 the federal court in Canada is pretty loaded up with left 
leading judges. And so we thought, well, we, we probably did better in the Beach Court of Appeal than we will moving forward. So at that point, I fired my two lawyers, not because of this, but because to protect them. So I fired my two lawyers, got them off the record, and I said, okay, well, this, if that's the end of the line legally for the moment, uh, I'm going to protect them, and I'm going to break all these gag orders because I thought, you know, the world needs to know what's happening to their kids in darkness in these schools. You know, as an example, it came out in affidavits that when my daughter changed her name from her female name to a male name, I was under the impression that this was by her design. No, it was the school counselor that changed her name. Comes out now in court records. The best of the Glenn Beck program. The one and only Chip Roy is uh, with us now. Hello, Chip. Glenn, how are you, sir? Well, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Uh, I, I, I will tell you that, you know, if we cut 20%, cut back 20%, that would bring us back to the spending levels of 2019. And people like Kevin McCarthy are worried that we can't even get 8%. If that's true, why is he still leading the, the Republicans? Well, like this, this is a fundamental question. It has been a failure since the Memorial Day deal was cut. Uh, in which we, unfortunately, uh, cut a bad deal. I say we, I didn't obviously vote for it. Um, and, you know, we, we have been moving forward since then, trying to get to the place where we can get what, where the American people want us to go, which is to actually cut spending, actually take the positions that we need to take and pass the laws we need to take to secure the border and force Biden's hand and go through the other issues you and I both care about, Department of Justice, weaponization, and so forth. You and I have both talked about it on your show before. I know I can't get every single thing I want. I know that. But if we can't meaningfully cut spending along the lines of what you just described, meaningfully secure the border, meaningfully restrain DOJ, then I don't know why the hell we're here. I don't either. And that's, that's the question. Now, so, we just oh, – go, go ahead. No, go ahead. We just – go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is we just passed a rule last night because of the 20 – because of the Freedom Caucus, uh, demanding that we move forward with regular order to move appropriations bills. There's a lot of good policies embedded in those appropriations bills, limiting what Biden can do, constraining the use of dollars. It does not cut enough yet. I'll be honest, Glenn. It does cut. We passed more cuts last night. We got to get through the sausage of the next 48 hours to see where it lands in terms of total cuts. It's going down. That's good. Uh, but we got to keep moving the ball forward and then kind of let the dust settle and see what we get on the amendment process. We can't be uh, hypocritical here. If we believe in an open process and opening up and having amendments, you got to let it play out, see what the end result is, and then look in the mirror and go, okay, is this good enough? And so for me, we're going to decide in the next 40 hours, 48 hours, are we cutting enough spending in these bills on the floor? And this is the critical part. Are we going to secure the damn border? That is a just absolute deal breaker, 100% red line for me. It's a burn the place down, take, you know, absolute no hostages. We're going to secure the border or the Republican Party is going to end. That's where we are. So we're going to force that question, but also force the question on cuts. Uh, we're having meetings today and we're going to keep pushing as hard as we can. But li- here's what I would do. Okay, I'm going to be very clear. We should not leave this weekend. If we leave this weekend, that's a failure by our leadership. Everyone should be here. We should be voting. We should be voting on Friday, on Saturday, on Sunday, on Monday, until we get the job done. Send the bills to the Senate. We should tell the Senate, your bill is dead on arrival, McConnell. 
Don't pull that crap. I don't care if you have 32 idiotic Republican senators who voted for a garbage continuing resolution last night that gives more money to Ukraine and didn't touch the border. They should be ashamed of themselves. Only 17 Republicans voted against that. We should stand up as the House, led by McCarthy, and tell McConnell to stick it up his rear end and say, absolutely not. We should be here this weekend. We should pass these appropriations bills. We should cut funding. and We should absolutely die on the hill to secure the border. And if we don't do that, then we need to change things in the House of Representatives for Republicans. So help me out on something, because I was disappointed when I saw it, uh, but I don't, I don't believe it, but I don't know what to believe anymore. Jake Sherman tweeted out, Chip Roy says Congress needs to stay this weekend to pass the CR. He says he agrees with the str- CR strategy and bill. I don't believe that. Tell me that's- no, that's a, no, that's that's minions inside a room live tweeting out bogus crap. What I said was, as I was two weeks ago, and I, you and I talked on your show, I do support sending a funding bill that cuts spending with H.R. 2, the border security bill attached to it, over to the Senate. I absolutely support doing that while you move appropriations bills, because then you browbeat them that you're funding troops, you're funding Border Patrol, you're cutting spending and you're securing the border. Now you go on offense and you crush the Senate Democrats and the president, and you stick it up McConnell's rear end. That's why I would pass that bill. They won't pass it in the Senate. We would pass it with cuts, border security, funding for troops. That's what I support. If, if that's not what we put on the floor, I'm not going to support it. Meanwhile, we've got to move the appropriations bills. No, I do not support a CR that people think a CR is. It's not a CR. It's an 8% cut or a 20% cut, whatever it is. Send a cut over there, secure the border, and make sure our troops are funded. That's how you win the message. But I'm not going to support a CR. That's ridiculous. Uh, do you happen to know how Texas Senator John uh, Cornyn voted on that uh, Senate budget? I, I, I do. I do. And, and, and he unfortunately was, was one of the, uh, whatever the total was, 30-ish or so uh, Senate Republicans. He, he certainly wasn't one of the 17 who voted no. Um, uh, do you have Senator to move? And others. Do you have to move from where you live to be in some special district or anything so you could run for his job? Uh, I'm 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 not going to take the bait, Glenn. I'll just <laughs> say that the Constitution only requires that you be a resident of the state of the of state. To, okay, to as to be a senator of Texas. All right, I just I thought that's what it was, but I'm just thinking senator i'm a congressman that that would be uh that would be good so uh chip how strong because nothing can pass without congress and uh that will only happen is if the freedom caucus stands firm how firm are you guys when it comes to you know the 15 days to stop the spread Yeah, well, we're firm on rejecting what the Senate is sending to us. We're firm on forcing the appropriations bills to move in the direction of cuts and to make sure they've got the right policies in place. Uh, Where There's still some gray areas over these next couple of days on those four bills. There are some provisions in there that need to change. For example, there's some Ukraine funding. It's small amounts in in the underlying bill, but there's some Ukraine issues we need to address. Um, we, you know, we got to stop the Senate bill just added $6 billion onto a 45 day continuing resolution of last year's spending levels with no help for the border. Like I said, a minute ago, we got to fight that. So we're trying to get through the bill. So we're united on a lot of these fronts and issues. 
We're just trying to figure out the right play. Uh, but the, here's the critical issue. What House Republican leadership needs to understand, you go cut a deal with Democrats to do this, and it is the end. They need to understand that. It what is does that mean to you? It will be World War III within the Republican Party. It will be an absolute, unmitigated separation, a break. You will not go cut a deal with Democrats to jam through a spending bill that does not secure the border and perpetuates a war in Ukraine without accountability, without transparency, and that we shouldn't even be doing in the first place. This is, these, are, these are deal breakers. So the, the, we're trying to make very clear what we are going to expect and demand out of this. And a lot of my colleagues in the Republican Party are bringing out their tropes, their tired old rhetoric, right? Oh, well, you know, we, we got to be united and we got to make sure, you know, you guys are over there saying that, that uh, you know, we're somehow lacking backbone and we're squishes. And look, politics is a tough business. Suck it up, buttercup. We have to stand up for what we're, we were sent to Washington to do. And so that's my position. And it's not a hard one. Um, and look, I, again, Glenn, you and I both, we've talked about this before. I don't pretend to know all the answers. I don't pretend to know, yes, there's a time when you have to look at each other and go, yeah, that's good enough. We, we got something here. We can't get everything we want. Everybody understands that in negotiating. But the American people are tired of the bullcrap excuses by Republicans and a failure to hold the line. So when Speaker McCarthy says he's going to hold the line on the border, okay, show me. Show me that you're going to do that. Show me that we're going to hold the line on spending, as you've said you would do, and the border, as you're now publicly saying you're going to do. Reject McConnell. Stay here over the weekend. Pass these appropriations bills. Do the work. Convene the Appropriations Committee. Move the DOJ. We call it CJS approves, Commerce, Justice, and Science. Move that through the House with all of the changes we need to put in place to restrain the, the, the Biden, uh, you know, uh, Merrick Garland Department of Justice. Let's do our work. Let's fight through all of this. And if in the middle of that, we need to have a cut to spending in the form of a stopgap funding measure that's attached to HR2 and border security. Yeah, I'll support that. But nothing else. No clean CRs. No more Washington gimmicks. We've got to move forward. Uh, I will tell you that I've been I've been waiting for this moment for about 15 years uh, and I, I hope that we are there in in many ways. You know, Charles Sum, uh, Sumner s- stood up in, I don't remember what it was, 1853, something like that. And he realized that neither the Whigs nor the Democrats were serious about doing anything to stop slavery. And he stood right. up in the well of the Senate and he said, the South is sleeping with the whore of slavery. And I've been waiting for somebody to stand up and say, the Republican parties... And the Democrats are sleeping with the whores of big business and special interests. Uh, Now, he almost was beaten to death uh, because he said that. But what was interesting was both the Whigs and the Democrats were against him. And that's what gave birth to the Republican Party. And the Whigs went away immediately. The next election, they were done. And I really think chip that this is the moment and i don't think that the republican leadership i think that they believe they have you know all of the big business the big 
you know, the big donors and everything else. But all of those people are going to wake up to a very different world politically if this goes through. You're done. Really, truly done. Well, that, and that's, that's what I was trying to get out there, Glenn. I mean, yeah. like some of these things, just they are what they are. I know where the American people and the Republican electorate is. Um, they, the, there are certain Republicans who take way too much comfort in their handful of their little circles of the sort of business establishment. And that is not where the American people are. The Republican Party has got to actually stand up for something again. We have to actually connect with the American people with a vision for what we want to do or go into the ash heap of history and there will be a new party. But we can no longer continue to do this uniparty garbage where we are nothing but Democrat light. And that means, look, again, can I get the 33 percent cuts that you've got to get to non-defense, non-veteran spending in order to fully achieve 2019 levels? I don't know, Glenn. You know, or we're going to have to go figure out how to go restrain defense and veteran spending, which is complex, as you know. But if we can't go get meaningful cuts, 15, 20, 25 percent to the non-defense, non-veteran portion of our spending. I'm not saying veterans and defense don't need attention. They do. You and I would agree on that. But if we can't do that, then why the hell are we here? Don't come talk to me about what you're going to do about Social Security and Medicare when you don't have the balls to cut the Department of Justice. Seriously. Like, if you can't cut the freaking, you know, uh, EPA, if you can't cut, you know, HHS and the bureaucracy there, if you can't cut this bureaucracy, you're never going to touch reforming Social Security and Medicare to make it work for people and make this country solvent. So I'm tired of all the excuses. We've got to do our job. Last night on the floor, we're voting on amendments on the uh, ag bill. And there's a bunch of amendments there that the Farm Bureau wants. Of course, they're a lobby. I go see them. I love them. I love small farmers. I want to help small farmers against these big corporate whores that are screwing them. I want to pass bills to help them. But I'm not going to just go, sorry, I can't touch cutting ag bill because the Farm Bureau doesn't like it. That's crap. Just like saying you can't cut, you know, and eliminate Ukraine funding or cut defense because, oh, there's some other special interests that don't like it. That's crap. We have a job. And frankly, at this point, we need to just do straight up across the board sequesters and do our job to drive the numbers down and then force us to the table to to do the appropriations both the way we're supposed to. But again, on a positive note, because of the work of conservatives, we're actually voting on individual appropriations bills with amendments this week. It's been a long time since we've really done that. So we're working it through the process. We're trying to drive the numbers down through the cuts and through the amendments. And then we've got to force the hand of leadership. And that's going to be the question over the next couple of weeks. Okay. I only have two minutes with you. Um, Is there anyone that it would be helpful to have the listeners call? Well, look, that's always a question, right? I mean, you know, make sure your congressman, wherever you are in the United States, knows that you want to see spending cuts. You want to see the the, the border security. And and, and let me just really focus on that, that issue on the border security. That issue is something that can and should unite us. If we can't do it now, after 304,000 encounters in August, after all of the things we are seeing now, the ridiculous numbers, the 11,000 in one day in Eagle Pass day before yesterday, then we're never going to do it. So light up your phones with your members of Congress. Let them know you stand with conservatives. Do not fold. Cut spending. Secure the border. Hold this government accountable, DOD and, and DOJ. Uh, and let your senators know. I mean, golly, Glenn, 
17 Republican senators out of 49 had the fortitude, the spine, the cojones to stand up to Mitch McConnell and the Democrats from passing last year's bloated omnibus spending bill plus six billion for Ukraine and nothing for the border. That is shameful. It is absolutely shameful. Chip, remain standing. Let us know. When is this going to come to a head, do you think? When are we going to know? Well, in the next 48 hours, we're going to know whether we are able to get these appropriations bills done. I believe the government will shut down on Saturday night. The question is going to be whether we pass a stopgap cut to spending plus H.R. 2. That's debate. We're being we're debating that in the conference. And then I think between now and October 13th is going to be D-Day, right? Because October 13th is when checks would need to go out to members, you know, in the military and others. So I think you've got about two weeks here where you're going to see whether leadership has a spine to stand up and fight for what needs to be fought for. Okay. We're standing with you. Thank you so much, Chip. Appreciate it. God bless. Keep God on. bless you, Ben. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.